It gives a, an instance, or it gives as an instance the frantic joy of a, a bacchant, which I had to look that up, and that's someone who leads a bacchanalia. Oh, uh, and, the, and the grief of obviously Mary you've Mag- never had that title, right? You've never yeah. had that yeah. honor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after Conte, yeah. After the pandemic, there you go, oh. eyes wide shut. You're going to be there, man. <laughs> <laughs> Except nobody's going to wear masks. <laughs> We're sick of masks. No more masks. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of Discovering Darwin, a podcast dedicated to the writings and musings of Charles Darwin. I am your host, James Wagner, and I am joined this episode by two of my revered colleagues, uh, Dr. and Professor Sarah Bray. Professor of Biology and Associate Dean of the College. And uh, I think right now, Sarah, aren't you working on an all-campus online uh, training session entitled, Is This a Zoom Meeting I Can Show My Genitals? (laughs) Yes, I'm sure it's coming. Because you know, it seems it seems that's a question people are having. Is 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 this appropriate? Is this the Zoom meeting? Is is it really? (laughs) Well, Jeffrey seemed to think he needed it, but nonetheless, (laughs) and the other just gotta air it out. Was was that wrong? Was that wrong? I mean, it's never explicitly stated. I, yeah, that I, I, and that'll be part of the yeah. online training. I'll get a certificate and I'll paste it outside my door. Uh, the other voice you just heard is our other revered and esteemed colleague, Dr. Mark Jackson, Associate Professor of Psychology and Best Dressed Man in the Apocalypse. How are you doing, Mark? <laughs> I'm doing well, James. It is a joy to be here. I am in high spirits. <laughs> but I can I'm, tell. I'm I got tender feelings for the two of you. <laughs> That's good because I that feel is... devotion. <laughs> well, you have to because you guys came in on a Saturday afternoon to record this with me. So there is there is devotion there, and I appreciate it. As you all know, uh, dear listener, we have been uh, slogging ourselves, slogging our way through Charles Darwin's uh, book, The Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals. Um, And as Mark pointed out, we are on chapter eight, joy, high spirits, love, tender feelings, and devotion. There's a lot here. And I I don't know if you guys had the same reaction I did. It seems like it's deja vu all over for me. I read this and it's it's difficult to read at times, but at, at the end of it, I start going, wow, those are really interesting observations. I have never thought about X. I never thought about Y. That's, you know, the, the things that seem so familiar to us, he really has the ability to get you to, to re-see it, I guess. Opening the uh, conversation, can we talk a little bit about what is, how do we know a human, a fellow human, is happy? I mean, last chapter, he gave us a very detailed description, knowing when somebody's in grief, did you guys feel like he did a nice enough job on this end to get, to convince you that, you know, somebody is happy, joy, happy, yes. happy, joy. Yes. There was plenty of detail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you want to, how, how, how do we know uh, a fair psychologist that somebody that the smile I'm giving you is actually real? Are you, are you, are you talking about the D smile? Is that where we're going already? <laughs> we can, we can do that. Busting out the D. The Shane smile going straight there. Well, I think the reader, should, the listener, should know what. How do we know a human is actually happy? Technically, you know, that's actually a really good question. And you know, uh, you know, currently one of the movements in psychology, this thing, positive psychology, that explores 
joy and well-being and happiness and that kind of stuff. Actually, uh, we kind of move away from the term happiness because, and I, I think this is an example of this, um, we tend to, in our regular language, equate it with mirth and positive affect. And, and that's what clearly he's talking about here. But, uh, and so we, we refer to that as a, a <clears throat> excuse me, a, a kind of hedonic happiness. Uh, but in terms of hedonic, like large, hedonism, was it coming yeah, from? Yeah, it's, it's okay. the, the happiness of the senses, right? That, oh. again, that thing that gives you positive affect, those, those, those kinds of joys. But there's other kinds of, uh, happiness uh that we refer to as as eudaimonic happiness the the that that pleasure happiness joy that you experience when you're completely engrossed in something or uh you you feel a sense of purpose and meaning that um that's that's not quite so clearly tied to facial expressions as we're exploring here although again you know that's you know not to take anything away from this the the, the book is about expressions, right? Uh, and specifically about our bodily expressions of emotions. But, but, but so, so for psychologists, if you really want to know if somebody's happy, you kind of have to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> With the N of one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just, yeah. Hope they tell you the truth. Yeah. Well, in, in his book, I, I'm going to read uh, a, a section of this to sort of give you, uh, listener, a, a way in which Darwin approaches this question. And he relies heavily on this uh, Dr. Duchesne, which we've spoken to in previous mm-hmm. episodes. Um, Mark, do you mind reminding us who this Dr. Duchesne is? Do you remember uh, he's him? a contemporary of, uh, of uh, Darwin as a, a, a neurologist. Right. And he's particularly famous. And, you know, I would argue that Darwin really helped with the, the durability of that fame uh, by using these pictures that Duchesne took of this guy that he had found who <laughs> experienced some kind of, what was it, a paralysis or a, a anesthesia in his face. Uh, so he couldn't experience things. So, so Duchesne would hook him up to uh, little electrodes and stimulate very specific muscles in his face to to mimic facial expressions. And he was doing this sort of as a scientist, right? He's collecting data, making arguments based on dissections or, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Is that, absolutely. Is that a dubious look in your face there, Sarah? <laughs> I just said, it just because you're like, oh, this is not for evil purposes was kind of the undertone of it. <laughs> He's not just torturing people. It was for science. <laughs> That's for science. <laughs> They're volunteers. They got, they got credit in their Psych 100 class. <laughs> It's like five points out of a thousand. Um, <laughs> all right, so here's a here's a, I'm going to do a reading from the of the text. Doctor Duchesne repeatedly insists that under the emotion of joy, the mouth is acted on exclusively by the great zygomatic muscles, which serve to draw the corners backwards and upwards. But judging from the manner in which the upper teeth are always exposed during laughter and broad smiling, as well as from my own sensations. I cannot doubt that some of the muscles running to the upper lip are likewise brought into moderate action. The upper and lower orbicular muscles of the eyes are at the same time more or less contracted, and there is an intimate connection, as explained in the chapter on weeping, between the orbiculars, especially the lower ones, and some of the muscles running to the upper lip. Henley remarks on, on his head that when a man closely shuts one eye, he cannot avoid retracting the upper lip on the same side, conversely. If anyone will place his finger on his lower eyelid, go ahead, you can try this. As you place your finger on your lower eyelid and then uncover your upper incisors as much as possible, you will f- he will feel 
as his upper lip is drawn strongly upwards, that the muscles of the lower eyelid contract. In Henley's drawing, given in woodcut figure two, the musculus molaris, which runs to the upper lip, may be seen to form an almost integral part of the lower orbicular muscles. There. Does that bring happy, happy joy? Did I describe a smiling face to you all? Yeah. (laughs) But but his point there, Mark, is that um, he's trying to, uh, going back to your point of how do we know somebody's happy is we ask them um, this idea that you can have a real smile, an authentic smile versus sort of a fake smile, right? Right. I've seen Sarah yeah. give me many a fake smile when she sees me. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it right now, Jay. Yeah. yeah, and and the key, and, and that's you know indicative of what we call a Duchenne smile now is is particularly that activity of the orbiculars, right? That you sm- smiling is with your eyes, which again, like we mentioned, is is we have to keep in mind in this era where we're wearing masks, right? Uh, to communicate to that person who. You lock eye contact with at the grocery store, you, you, and you smile. You gotta, you gotta make sure your eyes are involved. You mean but, like but make the, crow's like, feet kind of thing? Is yeah, that what yeah, we're doing? Yeah, yeah, smizing, yeah, smizing, smizing. Those of you who you know were connoisseurs of America's not next top model, like I was for some time, know about smizing. Tara <laughs> Banks said you have to smize. You smile with your eyes. So. She knows her Duchesne. Exactly. And so what the idea is that authentic smiles, unconsciously, that's the part that we activate. But if I just give a smile, it's less likely to activate that part. Right. And it's, and it's harder to do. You, know, you think about it. So what, what, why do we smile? What, what is the purpose of a smile? What is the purpose of any of this, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean like, well, we're, Sarah, I thought we were evolutionary biologists. Are we going to make an evolutionary <laughs> argument? <laughs> or, no, are you just, just getting like, really, <laughs> are you just getting tired of the pandemic and you're like, what's the purpose of all of <laughs> this? The point? No, I just mean like every expression that we've talked about, right? There, the assumption is it's trying to communicate something to others, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, what is the exact, what is the adaptive significance of a smile? Well, you're not angry. Mm-hmm. So you're probably not going to hurt me. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't there an and, argument and it that... Also, Go ahead, Mark. I, I would argue, I mean, it invites people in uh, in the same way that uh, expressions of sorrow do, uh, but for different purposes, right? S- sorrow brings people over to support us. S- uh, smiling invites people in. Th- th- they like us better. But, but again, you know, they're, they're, is, is that not a chicken and egg kind of problem, though? Because the smile had to first be expressed mm. and then from that non-threatening signal that now is understood to be a non-threatening signal it then invites you in so is it so originally you're very you're sounding very first principle here i probably am yeah because i'm trying to but, figure out where the original yeah. sm- why the smile itself happened and then you could then layer on um the the value in that Right, because I think the argument I mean, has been in our primates. Go ahead, Sarah. Well, I was just going to say, like, I feel like we had this conversation on one of the other episodes, but when we, because yeah, when you were talking about stand, <laughs> right, and they they make a like fear a, grimace, actually a fear grimace, right, but people interpret it as a smile. So, but 
I can also imagine fear is not a like generally you're not intimidating the other person you're showing that you are harmless or less likely to cause harm right and then does, I don't know how does that get co-opted then into being a signal of joy pleasure whatever get you know how does it get put on with this other well if if I think one of the articles that we read um, made the argument that if we have to think about this first evolving in the context of small groups of early humans and then those groups probably, the question really becomes interesting. Is it a small cohort of humans where all the males are closely related and the females are not, which is a classic argument of early human hunter-gatherer groups? Um, And if that's the case, uh, when other, you know, males see each other in the in the forest or wherever, do they first bear their canines and then they convert it to a smile to say, oh, wait, wait, I'm not aggressive. And then is that sort of the model? And then from there, that's why smiles, we mirror those. I mean, that's the thing, you know, what was the term, Mark, we talked about a couple of episodes ago, emotional contagion. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. So is, is, is that why smiles have more, do they have more emotional contagion? Are, are you more likely to mirror someone's smile uh, than other expressions of emotion? That's a good question. I don't know my, uh, for sure. I don't know necessarily in terms of evidence, but my, my, my gut my, w- would tell me yes, actually, that uh, those, those expressions of, of joy, particularly laughter, uh, are, are much more easily contagious for us than, uh, than the others. And I think just, you know, with personal experience, if you give somebody a big, broad smile and they just still scowl at you, it's like very weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, or going just, back I mean, to this whole YouTube industry of showing babies laughing, right? Because right. you can't help you can't, but laugh along. Yeah. Yeah. Even me, cold hearted me. <laughs> Cat lady. <laughs> But that, that's an interesting question, you know, in terms of, of sort of degree of contagion of different emotional expressions. I, I don't know off the top of my head if that, that's specifically been tested. I'm sure it has. Yeah, because I think it. about last episode when we talked about grief and you don't expect the other person to mirror your grief expression, right? You ex- the expected reaction is often, you know. Um, yeah, they, they boil you up. They come in to comfort you. Yes. Right. When you bring people in. Uh, but laughter, we tend to, to, to share that. Although, again, there was that, that, that uh, uh, the, the one study. Oh, gosh, it was a by. Oh, yeah. Oriana Aragon. Right. As, as we mm-hmm. talked about before. And, and, and we could talk about this more later. But but in terms of, of sort of that the antithetical expressions coming. Right. And, you know, in instances of extreme joy, when people uh, start to sob. Right. I mean, they, they, it turns into crying. Uh, um, and that. She studied people's in addition to the other stuff as to why we do this, but um, uh, people's responses to that fit with the expression, right? So, so when we, um, you know, when when people experience an intense joy that results in them sobbing, if you look at how people respond to them when they come over, they come over and comfort them, even though, you know, you know what I'm saying, even though we that they know that what's going on is is this extreme joy, but it's it's to buoy them up, right? Is that because they are confused? Their 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 emotional response is, "Oh, there's crying, so I need to go comfort them," even though nah. the context is they're happy. 
I, I don't think it's they're confused that they, you know, and again, we've all seen the videos of the, you know, the little girl on her birthday getting as a gift the adoption papers, you know, from her parents, and she just breaks down in tears. And again, if you look at what the adults do, they come over and they put their arm around her, you know, and it's 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 clear that they're not confused, thinking, oh, oh my gosh, I thought she'd be so happy about this. <laughs> Apparently, she's she really wants to live with somebody else. Uh, <laughs> You know, but it's 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 that that response, and I don't know. You know, maybe we're making a, we could make an argument that that is sort of an unconscious kind of hardwired response. When we see someone sobbing, we come over and Comfort, that's my argument. Here is what I'm making. Right, that we we see crying in the context of grief and or needing uh, uh, consoling, even though if it's in a right. different context. Right. But we're not confused about the emotion that the other person is experiencing. But we're, we're not, having like a fixed action pattern response yes. of like, yeah. Yeah. So like we can still, we can, uh, what's the word, cognitively yeah. process the emotion, but we have that fixed action pattern of how right. we start. Right. When you we start giving comfort even before we even know we're doing it. Yeah. Sure. But the thing is, of course, you know, we know that because we know the context. I mean, if you were to just sort of cut out that little bit of video and you see the girl there Crying. with papers in her hand sobbing, your, your, your initial interpretation is likely to be that, you know, she just got some really bad news. <laughs> I kind of want to, I, I want to differentiate the smiling joy part to the transition and in the next section of, uh, we'll take a break before we talk about laughter. Cause I, I think we do want to focus on laughter itself as a unique characteristic, but when we are talking about this idea of 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 smiling, he has uh, a, a the second the third plate plate three on page two hundred of our edition of the book, and I'm I am confused by the choice of imagery here. I don't know. Maybe uh, I, you guys want to talk about it. I mean, the girl on plate uh, figure two and figure one looks good. The Duchesne uh, model. Mark is is the guy on the right hand side, the four, five, and six, uh, where he, I guess he's smiling on his own, and then there's his face being forced into a smile through electrodes. But the question I have here is, do you guys see any unifying theme, at least for the girls on the left, for a smile, and does it fit with what the man is trying to portray on the right? And for you listening to us, I'll put these pictures, of course, on the blog post if you want to take a, a, a spot of them. But I guess my question is, what is the point of this figure and does it work, <laughs> if that makes any sense? I mean, I think the, you know, the three of the man really do, because I think it does really allow you to see that difference between, you know, the Duchesne smile and the not Duchesne smile, because you, you just can look at it and see, like, you almost look at, so the one where it's just the electrodes it i could i could almost take that as pain yeah um and so i think that is it, well, like, he does it, have electrodes stuck in his face true. So, <laughs> but he doesn't feel them bit. yeah <laughs> um but in five that looks like an you know like someone who's actually smiling and then you know i think one and two so the two girls the first two girls i can see it there because i do think mm -hmm. You can see it in their eyes. Three, I don't know. That one's a little weirder to me. Yeah, that is a weird one. Well, but but I, I think you also, I mean, you know, clearly across the first three, right, you see the activation of the zygomatic muscles. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's very clear. And to a certain extent, more so in one and two than you do with three, uh, but that uh, the abiculars mm -hmm. coming into play a little bit, you know. And, of course, it's it's a little difficult to tell because of the, 
age of these images and the quality of the, you know, the, one of the things that uh, Darwin talks about is a, a, a brightness of the eyes, right? And I think you do see that, you know, particularly in figure three, which is less of that uh, sheer joy kind of smile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you look in her eyes and you, you do see this, you know, this light that's there. It almost, yeah, I look at three and my actual, like, in first interpretation of it is mischievous. And I know that's not a that's not an emotion, but like that's just kind of like how I can t- like there's something and maybe it's just because of the like hand to the face. But mm-hmm. like I do feel like when you get that like twinkle in the eye, I feel like there is like there is this kind of other like motivation piece of information. Yeah, motivation behind it. And so that that when I first saw that, that's like, oh, she's a little minx. Right. <laughs> and, and, and doesn't Darwin explain it in the context of sort of increased intraorbicular uh, pressure. pressure. <laughs> yes. Cause he does talk about it. Um, exhausted men whose eyes are, you know, uh, sallow, sallow. That was the word. Yeah. And, uh, they look really, um, yeah, almost dead. Yeah. Right. Gaunt. Gaunt. Yeah. So he does this effort to, to get, convince us that we can tell somebody is happy by that sort of characteristic expression of their face. And he also mentions that that characteristic expression of the face is given by people who are blind, right? That they did not, we're not mirroring uh, characteristics that we see in other people, um, that it's, uh, I guess, innate. But the question I thought was interesting is that he does take a minute and say, you know what's interesting? When you look at uh, a baby, a newborn baby can immediately express grief, right? Cry and scream out and express their discomfort. But the expression of happiness doesn't come for days, if not weeks, in development. And I thought that was interesting that he kind of makes the argument, if I remember, that that suggests that it's a more, I hate to use the word more evolved, but more uh, laterly developed expression. And I was wondering what you guys thought of the the developmental differences in in those two expressions of emotion. When when they're younger, you know, They've just experienced a big move, right? <laughs> so Relocation. She does not want a room, a room for joy. Where it's like, okay, everything is different now. Yeah. I don't, I don't recognize any of this. But I was warm and and comfortable, and now I'm cold and now, breathing. I have my to head's breathe like this now. Yes. <laughs> no, but really, why do you think? Do you think there's any interesting value in that observation? That, and I know as people who who have had children and people who have children, that's one of their biggest things. <gasps> it smiled at me. It, it knows I'm here. I guess that's the first indication that they recognize you're actually present. I mean, how much, I'm just kind of wondering if some of that has to do with the fact of, well, I guess they can, I was just thinking how they have such poor eyesight when they're born. And, you know, a lot of it does seem to be in response to another face. Now, I guess they can hear and I think, you know, they can, this is me treading into stuff I don't know that much about, but I think they can recognize, right, a mother's voice pretty early. So you could imagine that could be a stimulus. But kind of taking the step back, it seems like there's that um, survival, you know, necessary survival that selects for being able to cry the second you're, you're out, yeah. right? Um, literally happens pretty much soon as you get air in the lungs, right? I just, I wanted to, like, there is this little 
quote. It's really brief. I just wanted to read it because I, I found it amusing that relates to this, that he says, in this gradual acquirement by infants of the habit of laughing, we see a case in some degree analogous to that of weeping. As practices requisite with the ordinary movements of the body, such as walking, so it seems to be with laughing and weeping. The art of screaming, on the other hand, from being of service to infants, has become finely developed from the first days. <laughs> <laughs> I just liked how he said it, but I think it illustrates that, right? So it is this idea of, oh, crying, you got to do that right. straight up just to survive. Right. And then you can develop, or sorry, screaming, then you can develop weeping. Um, and same thing, you can develop a smile and then you can develop a laugh, like in terms of kind of order of need. Yeah. Well, that makes total sense. I mean, if you think of sort of the screaming as a response that is, you know, and that's what's most necessary for those, you know, from day one is the survival stuff. But the the other expressions, laughing, grief, those kinds of things, the, the laughing and weeping are growth motives, facilitate our our development, not just survival, but growth. But, but Mark, do you think... The first um, chore is survival. Right. For sure. So here's the question. I mean, I think, Sarah, you proposed an alternative hypothesis in my mind i'm thinking okay newborn squirts out of the the body there it is wipe it down clean it up cut off the umbilical cord you know when when my firstborn was was born that i was there and the doctor looked at me and said do you want to cut the umbilical cord and i'm like no that's what we pay you for what the heck it's like no I just had this vision of me cutting the wrong place or my daughter walking around with a you know belly button that's like two inches long or something <laughs> She deflates and slurps yeah. around the room like a balloon right now. But my point here, whatever my point is, oh, is that when a newborn is born, we have two, we have two models here. One model is uh, I have the emotional repertoire of both screaming and grief and unhappiness and smile and happiness, but I only smile in response to smiles given to me and my eyes aren't developed enough so I don't see a face. That's kind of your model, Sarah, right? So I have the ability to smile, but I don't think of, it doesn't come inherently from myself. It comes in response to a stimulus given to me versus, Mark, what I heard from you is an alternative hypothesis. I've Selection favors me to be able to express my unhappiness right now because that's survival. I can develop the ability to smile later casually because that's not so important. So which of those models do we really think do we think is going on or do we know like why aren't babies smiling at, at a day old? I mean, if they have well, the musculature and they have the, the, the neural pathways of a smile and blind people can smile. So it's not like you have to see a smile to make a smile. Well, it does. Say, I mean, and this is just anecdotal, but you hear parents talk about this oh was that a real smile right or like oh that was just gas or whatever <laughs> um, so they're like they are manipulating but it's almost it almost seems as if they have to like recognize that there's a there's some kind of feedback on that expression right they're not just smiling by themselves we i assume right they're not just laying their crib mm -hmm. yeah yeah they don't but they do don't they i mean you know when they're playing with their mobiles Oh yeah, laying on their back, like giggle and coo. But that comes later, right? So you're, yeah. No, so we think yet. it's a developmental constraint then, that the 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 ability to create that expression. I often thought having 
the children I've had that it's about the point six, seven, ten, twelve days in, you're like, oh, I'm tired of this thing. All it does is yeah. poop and feed, and if it does, you know, I'm sick of it. And all of a sudden, it smiles at you, like, oh wait, I do like you. I'll keep you around a little longer. <laughs> it is. So it still is a survival mechanism. Yes. You don't kill them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Expose them. <laughs> Well, I th- you know, I th- that's one of those Darwin observations that I thought was so brilliant that, yeah, why isn't a smile immediately as uh, expressed as easily as the other kinds of expressions that in- newborns have? All right. Uh, any more conversation about uh, just the idea of smiling before we move on to laughter? Anybody have any other thoughts or no? Nah, I think I think we should move we on. We tackled over. it. All right. Well, I'm smiling because we've just fi- finished this section and we come back. This smile is going to develop into a laugh. You're listening to Discovering Darwin. That was awesome. When there's pottery around your door, don't go crying because you're poor. Just laugh, laugh, laugh. When you're worried or when you're blue, don't go sobbing like me. Welcome back to the Discovering Darwin podcast, where we will continue our conversation about uh, expressions of joy. We're about to focus on laughter. We just talked about smiles. So let's, uh, let's tip one to the laugh factory. So is laughter a, uh, an expression of as a continuum of happiness? Is that sort of how we should look at it? Like, like I'm a little bit happy, I smile, and I'm really happy, I'm laughing, or are they two totally different emotional expressions that we kind of com- commingle them? I feel like Darwin, at least, was arguing that they are different because he talked about this kind of prerequisite of, um, I don't want, I don't know what i don't know that I want to say surprise, but of kind of not knowing what's coming, right? That it's this kind of uh, this turn of events that just suddenly just is surprising enough that it causes you to laugh. What do you think? And, and again, there there are lots of reasons why we laugh besides just pleasure and joy. We, we laugh when we're nervous, you know. At least but, according to the movies, we we uh, laugh when we're about to commit an atrocity. <laughs> <laughs> What are you talking about there? Yeah, that evil laugh, right? Oh, yeah, the evil. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. well, yeah, we'll come back to that because I, I proposed yeah. to you guys on 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 that. But laughter itself, right? So you're right. That's one of the arguments is that we're moving down a intellectual pathway, either of of experience or thought process. Right? A comedian who's telling a joke walks you down a story. And you're following along, and you're you're doing well, and then all of a sudden, at the end, bam! It takes a total hard turn to a different place, and you find yourself not where you originally thought you were. You're surprised, but you're not scared, right? right. It's it, yeah. it is this expectation to be at point A, but now I'm in point B. What the heck? Ha 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 ha! And so we do this weird thing called laughter, which also- itself is 
quite variable. Go ahead, Sarah. Yeah. Well, he also on 209, he starts by saying, oh, okay, maybe the smile is the first stage of the development of a laugh. But then he says, no, actually, really what this is, is that we have this um, association and long continued habit of the actual laughing, which to make this big noise, you have to open up your mouth and pull back the corners. And so that really what we've done is we've now associated that formation of the mouth with this sense of of pleasure or whatever so he, he almost argues that the laugh came first and then we get this smile associated through the first principle hmm. at least on in that paragraph that's on top of 209 so yeah i, I mean i'll just read part of it yeah because i think from um, the readings that we've done my sense from current thinkers is that they're totally two different evolutionary i, I would argue that too yeah i think so. i mean i'm convinced by that but it's just interesting that that's he goes with this because he says um, a different and more probable view may be suggested, namely that the habit of uttering loud reiterated sounds from a sense of pleasure first led to the retraction of the corners of the mouth and of the upper lip and to the contraction of the obicular muscles. And now through the association of long continued habit, the same muscles are brought into slight play whenever any cause excites us in a feeling is a smile. And we, we made the same kind of distinction in the last chapter when we distinguished okay. for him, right, to a certain extent, uh, crying and weeping, right? right? Uh, it, I, it, it seems to be the same kind of thing that we're doing here. We, we want to make these distinct because, you know, we, we certainly talked about how uh, crying is a little bit more limited in terms of a, of a, a limited uh, repertoire of things that we respond to. But we weep in lots of circumstances that aren't necessarily associated with grief or sadness, mm-hmm. right? And I think that maybe the same thing is true with, um, maybe, uh, just throwing this out here, uh, with the laughter, right? The laughter comes in, in many more circumstances, just like the, the weeping does. Well, also, though, um, laughter is easy to fake, where weeping is not easy to fake, mm. right? And so um, it seems to me that you're right. The variability in what a laugh is and um, the kinds of laughter. Um, so, Mark, you had posted a couple of uh, various YouTube videos of people laughing, and I'm going to play some of them and then get you guys to talk about. Because the scientists, there are scientists who study laughter, right? So they they look at the uh, the sonogram composition of, uh, of a laugh that humans do. And, and characterize it in different ways. And so I'm going to play these a couple of different laughters, and then maybe we'll come back and, uh, or you can. Uh... So the first one is. Um... Okay, this, uh, for those of you I love that so much. So I have seen, I have seen this, this is like a meme now, right? So people overlay a totally different dialogue. I I have no idea what the man's talking about because I'm an American, I speak one language. Um, 
but <laughs> we need to find it. We need to get Jeremy Payton on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A friend of the show, Jeremy Payton yeah. would definitely tell us what this guy is talking about, but he seems very, um, uh, uh, amused by his conversation. Uh, so here's a different one. This was one, um, of a British gentleman. I think he's told us Mark, right? And so, yeah. so the, there is an African-American gentleman laughing like Freddie Mur- uh, Murphy, basically. Eddie Murphy, sorry, Eddie Murphy. Freddie Mercury, Eddie Murphy. You know, they're all in my head. Um, <laughs> and so then they're playing that laughing gentleman. It goes back to this contagion idea, right? They play this video of a gentleman laughing, and then this British guy starts responding to the laughter of this initial video. So you might have two video, uh, two audio, audios of those different laughters. <laughs> That's the British guy going. Or Southern Alabama guy. I mean, Mark, he sounds like he's from Alabama. Guys laugh? Yeah. <laughs> now, is that a Duchesne smile on his face? I don't know if you can see it. You, you can't see it. Okay, that's really interesting. Now, here's one. uh, The last one is uh, one could argue this one is intriguing in that it's a newborn, not a newborn, it's a very young, young baby laughing. Mm At ripping paper. And so one could imagine this is a individual who has not been shaped by culture, not been shaped by their family, not been shaped by what is an acceptable way to laugh, right? Which is interesting. So here you'll hear some paper tearing and then the baby reacting. things that I noticed on all of these is uh, is the sound is made as they exhale, right? Versus inhaling. Is that is that something? Am I, am I mishearing this? Or is that because we breathe no, in and out and the sounds we can make are, are in both directions. And th- I mean, that's isn't that the way I mean, Darwin describes it is this, this sharp inhalation and then this kind of spasmodic exhalation. And you're hearing that clearly. And, in and, every one and, of those examples. <laughs> yes, in every one of those examples. So we make this really weird sound, <laughs> very weird staccato sound. Uh, why? The ball's in your court, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Well, he doesn't answer that for mm-hmm. sure. He doesn't give us a why. He does not. Well, you, wh- the the, the, why the does, father why of evolution, our- and he does not. Yeah. Yeah. There's not been a lot of why in this. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of why. But go ahead. So, so, so why does laughter exist in the way that it does? Yes. That's what you're asking. Well, like, the primordial, the primordial laughter. Yeah. The, the, the original right. primordial laughter. And then we can layer on top of it all the other context of which we use it. But where did it first originate as a, as a, as a human emotion? expression 
it goes back to what you said, Sarah, on what triggers a laugh, right? And so the one of the arguments by uh, what was his name, Mark? You knew the, the researcher Ramachandran, V.S. Uh, yeah. Ramachandran. But he makes the argument that laughter is a signal that everything's okay. That mm-hmm. ooh, we all think things are bad. There's a danger. There's something to be afraid of. Oh wait, nothing to be afraid of. Let's signal to all our friends that um, it's a false alarm. Don't be afraid. Right. And I'll, <laughs> oh, it's nothing to be afraid of. And then, and, so, and he but, makes the argument that that becomes why it's often contagious is that once you make that signal, others who hear you re- repeat it. That's, it sounds to me, I mean, that's, that's the same kind of argument as the smile coming from you know, a grimace that changes to everything's okay. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a, a shout or scream of alarm that's turned into everything's okay by, by breaking it up like that. Yeah, exactly. So what do you guys think of that as a hypothesis of uh, the, the origins of this weird uh, sound that we can make? I like it. It's the only explanation I've ever heard. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is kind of interesting. Uh, well, he also makes I the... Go ahead. I can understand, like, when you are in a, in a tense situation or something where, you, you know, you're on your guard that something bad is going to happen, that you do tense up. Sometimes you're even holding your breath. Mm-hmm. And so that when that tension is abated, right, you, you know, you really just expel it out of your body in a really forceful way. And then, yeah, I guess... How how do you differentiate between a oh shit, you guys it's the it's a fire right it is by the staccato of it right and that yeah it should be something loud because it is expressing it's the opposite an alarm call is loud and so you should also have this kind of loud thing that can be you know because when you hear alarm calls right. members of a troop or whatever they will perp- repeat uh, it perpetuate yeah. it yeah right the, the 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 question the interesting thing though is that why is it turn into that those staccato bursts right because we also do a like a <gasps> whoo you know of that that whoo of relief right which is is not broken up well the, there but was a, that's not an indication of laughter that's that's really relief you know right. we, we didn't get hit by that bus well it, yeah it does seem to suggest it requires that like turn of expectation maybe so it's not just like the lack of the event happening but like it actually has to have mm-hmm. a pivot of, of intentionality or whatever. Well, you know, when you when you realize sort of, this sounds really cheesy, but when you realize the structure of a joke and you watch, you know, a Netflix stand-up comedian, you know, that's the classic thing that they do is they start a story and then, you know, 45 minutes later, they circle back to that that point and hit it again. And you're like, whoa, where'd that? But you, but you realize that they had laid the groundwork way in advance and that's where really good comedians right do that where they slowly build that storyline and then come back with the the uh the the twist of the of the, of the of the phrase like you said Sarah where you're like I thought I was here now I'm over there and it's surprising and so then I laugh cuz you know it's not maybe the threat it's just mentally I'm in a different place um one of the things that I thought was intriguing about that that article was that the author made, and this is to me is very intriguing, made the argument that uh, laughter and com, you know, you know, sort of humor 
is a very creative process and that we should encourage children, young children, to be producing, you know, humor. And, and that becomes a very, uh, to develop a brain that's creative, the aha scientific insight that we have, right, of, of understanding the world differently all of a sudden. And that also fits with, I posted that article by Barbara Fredrickson, who proposed, I, I think this is interesting, and this is one of the things that's come out in this whole positive psychology movement, this attempt to, I mean, part of it is understand, so the, the evolutionary explanations for the negative emotions, like, you know, fear, and those are kind of easier to come up with. What's the evolutionary benefit of joy, of pause, of happiness? Um, and, you know, we can certainly talk about, you know, inviting people in and all this kind of stuff. But but her argument, and she's got a good bit of evidence to support this, I, I find particularly fascinating. And she calls it the uh, the broaden and build theory. Uh, and one of the things that she shows is that when we are in a, in a state where we're experiencing positive affect, our, our cognitions and our cognitive ability changes. We are more perceptive to... Uh, alternative creative ideas, we can engage in divergent thinking a bit more easily, and that this broadening of our cognitions uh, allows us to to build and build resiliencies and you know build creativity and stuff like that, which then opens us up for the capacity to experience more positive affect and it's this it's this positive feedback loop kind of thing and I, I, you know we've all had this experience right where uh, you know, you're you're at a party with some friends, and it, you're having a great time, and you just start thinking about all the other things that we should be doing together. At, let's go take a vacation together, right? Let's go do these other things. That that kind of expansive thought is is again a kind of creative thought, and it's a, it's a developmental asset uh, in that way, as opposed to experiencing fear or anger, which gets us really focused, right, and focused on that threat, and that's it, right? And so that actually has the the opposite effect. Hmm. I've also also been very intrigued by the fact that humor as a characteristic is often uh, used to describe individuals who want to be attracted to other individuals, right? So if you look at uh, people writing personal ads or if you see people in Tinder or whatever, not that I've looked at Tinder, but nonetheless, they will describe themselves as being you know, humorous or have a good sense of humor and that we use that as a sort of a moniker, a sort of a... a uh, I, I'm wondering, is it, is it to suggest, like you said, Mark, that they are a creative, open-minded individual, right? That they are willing to think of things outside of the norm. And so we find that intelligent and, and attractive. Or, Sarah, maybe from the female's perspective, if a male find, is humorous, you might find them less threatening because they are willing to take humor and, and see themselves less serious. And so that's so a signal of, I am not aggressive, I'm not threatening, but I think it's really interesting that you don't find anybody writing, I'm looking for uh, an individual who is dull Serious. and unhumorous, <laughs> has no humor at all. And, you know, I, I, I want that humorless person. But it's interesting that, that you think of the, the absence of humor as dull. Yeah, right. I do. Yeah. Is that unfair, you think? No, no, no. I just, I mean, it's it's the... It, it, it does make it seem this one kind of key positive ingredient, right? That's necessary, right? You got to, it's, you know, is it a peacock's tail? Capacity it- to, 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 to elicit positive emotion in you. But I'll I mean, it's, it's one of those traits you can't fake, right? Is it an honest signal? Honesty? 
Yeah, I mean, I almost, I don't know, and maybe this is just my preference for what I find funny, <laughs> um, is that <laughs> it's also, a, like, I feel like it's a signal of intelligence, too, because I, just like you were saying, this author argues, like, we should get kids to think this way. Um, yes, it's creative, but also you, like, kind of ha have to understand how things work together, right, to produce an effect, um, and so I wonder if it's just a proxy for intelligence. Well, that's what Jeffrey Miller would argue. There's a lot of stupid argue. humor out there, though. Yeah. I mean, and that's what Jeffrey Miller argues about the role of humor. He, he makes that argument. I think what you just said, Sarah, it's a, it's a, it's an indication of my intelligence, but the, um, the hypothesis for false alarm fits with slapstick comedy, right? Cause he says, you see somebody fall down and it's funny they're to you okay. because they actually aren't, yeah, they're not really yeah. hurt. And so you, you kind of react to that. And I think Since that falls along. I laugh along. before I know they're okay or not. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help it. <laughs> you know, some things are just funny. I know. Bodies <laughs> shouldn't like move that way. <laughs> it's unexpected. See? <laughs> so the laughter we have just now is that a a unexpected laughter because we think that's unusual that you think that and so therefore we laugh at that. <laughs> Now I'm trying to reconstruct really? deconstruct my laughter. Was it real? Was that was that a Duchesne laugh? <laughs> I do like I do kind of want to talk though about that idea of it as an honest indicator. So not only the ability to make someone laugh, but laughter itself. And even Darwin brings it up um, on on uh, two twelve. He says. Laughter is frequently employed in a forced manner to conceal or mask some other states of mind, even anger. We often see persons laughing in order to conceal their shame or shyness. So, and Mark brought this up earlier, is that we, we actually laugh in a lot of situations that have nothing to do with humor at all. Even, um, Mark, you were t talking about um, Kind of the other end of the spectrum like something so adorable and cute and people are like i just want to eat you up or i want to pinch your head off or you know yeah. <laughs> those those kinds of um those kinds of reactions and i will say as as a as a woman that i often have this um feeling that yeah i often smile or laugh in times that i'm not necessarily feeling that uh, emotion, right? You're, you're uh, faking it. Is that what you're saying? You're faking I'm it. I'm faking it hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, sometimes I think that's because, like, you know, our society has asked you know women to be the socially adept ones to make these connections, smooth people, ruffled feathers. Um, and uh, so I thought it was interesting. One of those papers that I threw in the folder um, was was actually examining how well genders do at identifying uh, simulated. So like, I'm just gonna produce a laugh because, or, or genuine, I'm truly laughing because of um, something happening. And they, they kind of set it up as um, for, you know, they, ha they had kind of different alternative hypotheses. And for, you know, men, they actually kind of hypothesized men should just be good at detecting fake laughter all the time because it may especially when men are doing it because it's a, a sense of aggression right like if you're truly laughing you're not being aggressive 
right? Whereas if you're faking mm-hmm. laughter, you may still be aggressive and I don't know it. Um, same thing for women. Women should be able to tell when men are fake laughing because of the kind of aggression factor. But then they kind of had alternatives for um, that, you know, maybe men should be good at judging if women's laughter is fake to tell if she's actually interested or not, right? Um, <laughs> or again, men and detecting fake, well, we'll, we'll just leave that to the side for right now. Um, <laughs> Uh, but then they, you know, argued women could either um, basically assume that all laughter is honest, or should be able to, you know, distinguish it again because of the, uh, sorry, with with other women that assume that that laughter is genuine at all times, or maybe they're better able to determine it because of kind of women's social upbringing, right? So. That was really belabored, me setting this up. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately, though, what they found was that um, men could basically differentiate whether it was a real or a fake laugh for both sexes. Hmm. Um, But women could differentiate it for men. But among women, they were unable to distinguish it. In fact, they thought women were faking just as often when they were actually being genuine so they they took genuine laughter as fake laughter but i thought they thought men over overvalued laughter and thought it was authentic when it probably wasn't with the idea being that for men the that that error of so for men it's better to assume the woman's attracted to you and is happy because there's benefits in that assumption versus being uh suggesting that they are not happy and and so they often would make the error in interpreting fake laughs as real because the benefit gives them that. Well, that was their that was one of their hypotheses, but they they didn't find. It. Oh, they didn't find it. Okay, because right. yeah, you would argue that so, men would often look at all women's. If you looked at me, you obviously are attracted to me and want to have my babies because you're right. a barista yeah. and you gave me my coffee and you looked me right in the eye. Although it kind of depended on the condition because they had two different studies. So in the one study, it was like men always tell. And the other one, it was it was trending towards they were not as good at distinguishing. I I, I would think, too, Sarah, given your you know what you said, actually, before you started talking about this, about the adaptiveness of the ability for women to fake laughter Mm -hmm. in the sense of diffusing circumstances. Right. That on the other side of the coin, as opposed to detecting producing for say that the, the right. decoy is a more effective decoy i'm sorry yeah, I, right. I i just yeah. lost both of you um which is why is my internet oh, unstable I i'm you, i'm plugged in that's what i'm doing in my office and both mark you just went and i lost you yeah your video is yeah you're jerky actually you're great this is so this is so annoying because you guys uh, are fine on your end and I'm getting a lag. You so said something that I can. Yeah, I have no idea what you just said, but we'll just keep going. Sorry to interrupt you. Basically, all. Mark is saying if women are trying to diffuse situations by fake laughter, they should be getting good. At, they should be good at making fake laughter. And so that. Right. It's more deceptive laughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So that we would expect that no matter the gender of the observer, they should not be able to distinguish between stimulated and genuine laughs for women, right? Yes. That would be the hypothesis. And that's kind of what they found for women, except that they, the women assumed that, that the genuine laughter was fake. 
They assumed they all women were faking it. It's just fake yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're just like, well, and so maybe that's again just context <laughs> knowledge to know. Well, women fake the shit all the time, so I'm just going to assume every female laugh is faked. Sir, have you ever given that sense from your surroundings that you should be smiling, or has anybody actually said to you, "Hey, why aren't you smiling?" Because I've heard. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that happens a lot, and I have not gotten that, but I think. Well, oh, I, I don't know. I, I hear it from my a, students all the time. Yeah, why aren't you? Yeah, female students don't look so. Don't look so. Wait, down. they say that to you, Mark? Like they're like, why, Mark, why aren't you smiling? <laughs> Are you asking me right now? No, are they ask it. Wait, I'm confused. Are the female students saying to you, Mark, why aren't you smiling? No, or- no, 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 no. no. <laughs> that that, uh, uh, that you know, people say to them. Yeah. Men in particular, smile, smile more. You should smile mm-hmm. more. I wonder, like, I kind of wonder if there might be a generation difference between our students and myself, who maybe our students feel less need to do that and therefore are not performatively smiling as much or laughing as much as women of my generation are because we know that what the expectation was mm-hmm. right and right. younger women are pushing against that but yeah i often i feel like i smile or laugh more smile than laugh but a lot performatively there was st- studies showing that for males if they're in a room with you know, uh, older males or more powerful males, they smile more. Silverbacks. Yeah. So they, yeah. pardon? The silverbacks. They're in a room with silverbacks. Yeah. Yeah. In a room with silverbacks, they just smile. So it is a a signal of um, submissiveness, I guess. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. The next thing I'd like to talk about is um, tickling. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you would. Yes, I do. Tickling. Tickling. Just talk, James. Really, just, just, just talk about tickling. tickling. <laughs> just like to tell you my thoughts on tickling. Well, so <laughs> I can t- tell you're like you knew we were going to get you on it. You're like, how do I say this that they don't just start making fun of me? <laughs> there is no easy segue into tickling. There is no easy segue you know, into there tickling. It's not. But Darwin talks about tickling, and he and he makes I think one of the most um, uh, astute observations. Right, that you your ass can't be tickled. Because <laughs> he talks about body parts that can be tickled, and he points out body parts that are sort of hidden, right? Your armpits, the, the soles of your feet, uh, the spaces between your toes, these areas that don't get stimulated a lot. Or, well, that doesn't make sense with the soles of your feet. But nonetheless, don't get exposed a lot if but you go to those. It makes a, makes yeah. a distinction between the kind of stimulation. Right. The, the soles of our feet get a get constant whole, broad pressure. Yeah. But never the <laughs> so, and then he makes that nice observation that your butt cheeks uh, cannot be tickled, which I'm not sure if that's true. Mark, is that true? Is your butt cheeks untickable? Mine? Oh, you yes. can tickle the hell out of my butt cheeks. Yeah. Oh, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, yeah. Yeah, the surface I mean, on which we sit offers a marked exception to this rule. Well, so, it, you know, it may also be consequence of although of the gray area devoted to that sensory part in our sensory cortex. You know, the, the, the things that aren't ticklish are the things that are just not, you know, your butt, your elbow. Those things are not particularly sensitive because there's, you know, uh, we, we've got way more sensory neurons and area devoted in our sensory cortex to those parts of our bodies. But I was intrigued by this. Go ahead. Sorry. I would say it, it, but although that that doesn't necessarily match because 
you know, the, 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 those parts of our bodies that have large representation in that mapping are are things right. like your lips and your fingers, th- th- those things that are particularly sensitive, mm-hmm. but we're not ticklish on our right. fingers. Right. There's a great uh, uh, figure in my animal behavior textbook, which shows the innovation in sensory information. The homunculus. Yeah. yeah yes, the homunculus. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of the body parts to uh, nerve endings. I'll put that on yeah. the, the blog but, spot. You, yeah. Oh, fact, speaking there's, of which, there's, two, there's, two, there's one for the motor cortex and one for the sensory cortex. Right. Right. And they and they they're different. Speaking of which, yeah. I just want to plug our our blog spot, uh, discoveringdarwin.blogspot.com, where you can see additional information, and I'll, I'll link some of the papers we're talking about here today, and put some images there, pictures, pictures yes, um, of of me tickling Mark's butt. So. <laughs> It's got an image, and it was beautiful. And I'm not laughing. It's not tickling. It's not laughing. But tickling as – I mean, so I was talking to my son last night. He was my 28, 19-year-old son, some, somewhere around there. I guess he's 20 now in December. But he was in the kitchen. I walked up behind him, and I tickled him in the armpits, you know? And he's like – fuck are you doing like, he's like he was not laughing this kid did not find it humorous and in fact said that is very annoying and then my wife is the same way you know um do not ever tickle her at all there's not joy that comes from this nothing but anger and and uh, annoyance Sarah's nodding yes. <laughs> so my question, I guess, is so he talks about tickling like it is a universal kind of response. And I'll talk about a comparative paper, a comparative phylogeny paper about tickling in other primates. But my question to you guys is what is your thoughts about this idea of a tickle as a universal reaction in humans? I mean, I think you can have the reaction and not enjoy it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I think if someone tickles me, I, I do have kind of an uncontrollable sense to laugh, but I don't like it, <laughs> you know, like I, I, yeah, it's not pleasurable. So then how does, how does that fit with our model for laughing then? Why are you laughing and not screaming or yelling or you have well, a but, sense but of But you fun? do, right? I mean, when, an unwanted tickle, although I don't know if any tickle is wanted, but you, I mean, <laughs> you, re, you recoil and, and yeah. you know, I, perhaps it's, you know, it's because of, uh, it's a sense of a loss of control or someone else having control, right? Uh, them making you re- making you respond in right. a certain way without you wanting them to. You may not like, I mean, you don't like it, but the but the response that that tickle response is is there. Well, one of the arguments early on for um, tickling children was going back to that false alarm, right? Is you go toward the child like, I'm going to get you. And they're like, oh, it's going to be, you know, an aggressive interaction. And then it's not. And tickle, tickle, tickle. And then we laugh because, oh, the the interaction involved, you know, changed to a, a playful thing. And so we laugh and make it fun. But then as an adult, we're all adults here. It The context changes completely. Yeah, I think that's what it is because I do think, you know, I have nieces and stuff and they'll almost they'll almost ask they'll kind of ask you to tickle them, right? You'll tickle once and I'm like, "No, no, no." And then they come back, right? And they're just like, "Tickle me again." Um and so, yeah, I think it's just a different context and almost I guess in that sense, child still does have a little bit of more control in that. I mean, not control, but the sense of like this is not something that I am protesting. <laughs> Right. Because even Darwin points out who who the tickler is matters. Yes. 
right? I think yeah, Sarah. Very, yeah. Very you should read that, James. Way. Can we? Yeah. Uh, yeah, let me go find it here. Um, <laughs> yes. So he's talking about tickling, and he says. In this case, and in that of laughter from being tickled, the mind must be in a pleasurable condition. A young child, if tickled by a strange man, would scream from fear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that nails it on the head, not only the, you know, the stranger, but <laughs> you have to be in a pleasurable mindset, right? So you have to be in this context of... So now we've got these three uh, ranges of emotional response to a tickle. You've got the uh, I'm laughing, hee hee hee, and then you've got the uh, what the heck are you doing? You're annoying me, and then you've got the fear. <laughs> can we can, before we move on? Can we point out that um, we see this pleasurable response to a tickle not just in humans, but in other primates and like Yacht Panskip shows in rats, right? That uh, uh, that tickling and that for these other species it is a pleasurable pleasurable response that results in laughter. And, yeah, and, and I love those videos you sent with the rats because they even um, they seek out the the hand of the so they stop tickling them and they move the hand around and the rats are chasing after the hand to get more yeah. tickles. Yeah. Oh, I have to put that video on the uh, the blog spot. Oh, Brilliant. Yeah. Well, there was a. I put a paper in our in our uh, folder showing this is really interesting. <laughs> so I, I imagine the graduate student who did this. I, I should maybe reference them. They looked at a comparative analysis of. They went and ch- and tickled uh, infant uh, gorillas, uh, chimpanzees, um, bonobos, bonobos, and orangutans, and humans. And so what a great, I mean, great research project for somebody. What are you doing? I'm tickling, tickling little apes. baby primates. Tickling apes. T- tickling apes, yes. And then recording their, their, their the sounds that they make. And so what's cool about that study, right, is that they were trying to explore the idea of the vocal uh, response to this tickling of their feet. And they, they got it from infant humans, monobos, like we said, orangutans. They then took those sonograms and, uh, and spectrographs and made them in a quantitative response. And, and they looked at calls per series, the, how long did the, the, the laughter or sound that they made occur, uh, what was the um, duration, the intercalls. And then they also talked about what we just talked about earlier, um, are there what they said voice segments to it? Um, and Mark, maybe Mark, you should talk to us about what that means, because that became a very significant human-like trait, unlike other primates, the voiced segments to a to a laugh. Can, do you mind helping us understand that? Sure. It, yeah, what they essentially mean is that the the laugh is vocalized, and so I, you know, as Darwin talks about the the mechanics of a laugh is a, a sharp inhalation followed by this kind of spasmodic, regularly uh, uh, intervaled exhalation. Uh, and the thing is, it can either be just an exhalation of air or it can pass through a vocal cords. And, and in that sense, it's vocalized. So like all those laughs that we heard earlier on the, of the, 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 the two adults mm-hmm. and the baby, those are vocalized laughs because the, the air is, uh, the voice is used, right? The the air passes through the vocal cords, cr- causes that vibration, and ha 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 ha. That's that's the 
Well, that's that's the worst laugh I've ever. Heard. So I have a. Um, uh, Can you tell that was fake? Yeah, was, yeah. I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so this is um, some now sound I'm files. Now worried you're aggressive. <laughs> uh, from Bachowski's uh, Bachowski's lab in Vanderbilt. He has some sound files that sort of illustrates that mark. So this is a high pitched song like laugh. <laughs> They're very the short. Vocalized. <laughs> Those are all vocalized. vocalized yeah. <laughs> yep. That's so here's crazy. the unvoiced. Uh, <laughs> that snort kind of thing. And, it's like uh, the stuff that, like, I think we, or I do, maybe I often would identify that. I would call it a snicker. A snicker. It's definitely like you were saying, Mark. Not through the vocal cords, but through the nasal right. it's almost cavity. Through the nose, yeah, yeah right. through the or nose, even just through the mouth. But the vocal cords aren't engaged. And <laughs> you know, it may be at least as I hear. And again, I don't know necessarily specifically the research on this, but that the the bigger, more intense laughs really come through the vocal cords. Yeah, right, right. The belly so, laugh that we think of, you know, the, the laugh that's being pushed by our diaphragm and not just the lungs. Right. This is a this is a vocalized laugh. So we, we have huge variation in how we laugh, which in itself for evolution is very intriguing. Right? Variation is the, the, the source of evolution. And so they looked at all these different, they tickled all these different primates and apes. What and a job, I know. by the way. <laughs> I, 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 the grad students on this, I, I, would, I, I, would, I would be, that would be great. I mean, I did research on cannibalism and spiders. So, you know, <laughs> holiday conversations tickle, were not tickle, very... Tickle. Yeah, they were not very interesting. But if you were doing this work, you're like, yeah, I got to tickle some bonobo chimpanzees and record their calls. It's freaking awesome. They got frisky. So th- what's really neat about this study, and we'll post it on our blog spot, but they took those calls, those recordings, and then, uh, like I said, they quantified them and, and gave them different uh, mechanical characteristics. And then what I thought was really interesting is they took those, and, and Sarah, you would appreciate this because you're an evolutionary biologist and, and loves phylogenetic trees. They took those calls and the characteristics of them and then created a evolutionary tree based on the calls, basically saying, which call is most similar to this call, which one's less similar, and, and, and built a evolutionary phylogenetic tree of the calls. And what they created mirrored exactly the genetic phylogenetic tree of apes. In other words, human calls are distinctly different as if humans are distinctly different from the other apes. And so one of the fun things about this study is they basically said, hey, orangutans are laughing. Gorillas are laughing. Chimps are laughing. Even though people are like, you shouldn't say they're laughing. They're like, no, it is a, it's a difference in, in, con- a difference in degree not difference in kind, right? It's the same thing humans do, but just a little bit different. But where humans were different was that, going back to what you said, Mark, the voice segments. We do a lot of voiced segments compared to the non-human primates. That is really different. Other, other things are pretty similar, the spectral you know, range and the, and the uh, vibrations and the sort of all the other kind of spectral elements of the calls are very, very, all apes are similar. Uh, call durations, intervals, and that sort of thing. But but the uh, vocal elements are different. Which is interesting because one of the other papers that 
I had put in the folder looked at how people, their affective response to voiced and unvoiced laughs. And they actually said that greater than 50% of the time, people are using non-voiced laughs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's different or we we read different information from those that those with the uh, voice laughs we have a more positive connotation of like i would be interested in meeting this person i Hmm. this is conveying emotion this person is friendly this person is sexy uh whatever are higher regardless of you know the gender of the person listening to it when um it's voiced so it's conveying different information it may be we're interpreting also, too, the, I mean, it's it's a bigger laugh. It's it's harder, perhaps, to fake, you know, the, yeah. you know, uh, as opposed to the, oh, 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 you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're not good at faking, Mark. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying. I'm making bad laughs. Yeah. Ho, ho, ho. Come on. <laughs> no, no one buys into that. So we have Kids. this. <laughs> so laughter, uh, we're making the argument here, is a secondary kind of expression that evolved. The smile is one to diffuse, you know, uh, threats. But then laughter is. Uh, we, we all are liking the argument that it's a false alarm signal that things are okay. Don't be afraid. I, I thought this was dangerous, but it's not. Ha ha ha. And then everybody kind of, and that goes back to the argument of uh, the emotional contagion. Why is laughter contagious um, versus other kinds of expressions? But then I, I, I had posted earlier to you guys, then what is this idea of you know, evil laugh, right? Why do we, why do we see, and we all know of the, the, the idea of somebody laughing in, in, in the context of something Exactly. Yeah. What is what is that? Why do we have evil laughs, but not? I think I posted you guys evil griefs or or a con, contrary other evils, but evil, evil laugh, weeping. evil weeping. Well, right. maybe not evil, but you know, crocodile tears, right? Or uh, but we don't of, human. A, but we don't humans don't mis- have. Do we have? But we talk about people having crocodiles. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah, it's, it's, like it's, it has it's, that. It, it's called that because we say humans do it, right? It's <laughs> because really it, yeah, it's 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 feigned. It's it's a yeah. fake sorrow. Yeah, but I don't think evil laugh is a fake laugh. It is a laugh in which I'm laughing because of an evil situation. And it goes back to your specialty, Mark of uh, Schadenfreude, right? Yeah, but yeah. Right. So that I'm, oh, sorry, shame. But but the idea that we, I am laughing, not because I'm happy, bec- but I'm laughing because the the situation has gone really bad. And that makes me, right. happy. and that Although, makes me happy. I, but it was, I'm I happy think because are, it's gone my way, though, right? I, yeah, I think those are, those are different things. I mean, there's, there's the laughter that comes from something like discomfort comedy or schadenfreude. But when I, when I think of evil laughter, it's the, the source of the evil. This person is about to do something awful or is contemplating that, laughing for that. But, but that's, that's a multi-layered thing, right? So for, from, from an outsider's perspective, how can you be laughing at that you know, as you contemplate this awful thing? But for the person who's laughing, contemplating that awful thing, that's bringing them joy, <laughs> Right. That's bringing them pleasure. And so that laugh perhaps is a genuine laugh. But we interpret it as sinister because we can't imagine that being happy. 
Yeah, we, right, we, yeah, yeah, exactly. That they're happy at this awful thing that they're they're uh, uh, thinking about doing. Now, and you know, but it is interesting that I feel like the way we uh, portray that evil laugh is often has this like falseness to it. So, like when you look, you know, you watch some movies, people, yeah, like that kind of thing. Um, and so, like, yeah, there, there's that. That's maybe more just how we put some. Well, then. so that yeah, that that makes me think of the popular culture representation of that, like the movie James right. Bond villain exactly. versus yeah. that. Obviously, came from some reality, right? We as humans have experienced somebody who laughs in a situation that we find very upsetting, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think goes back to your point, Mark. Yeah, but and also it just makes me think of J- Jay Leno back in the day when he was doing actual comedy and stuff like that. Does this bit about how you can tell in the movies where someone falls in the hierarchy of the evil organization depending on the pitch of their laugh? <laughs> that, uh, the, the boss, as they, again they're they're talking about the plans, is oh, 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 oh. the middle guys are, <laughs> and there's always the little henchman on the end going. <laughs> <laughs> That goes back to body size and uh, and tenor, right? <laughs> On the signaling. Status. Right? Status, Status, right. The, the, the depth of voice, the sonorousness of it all is you you you're you're at the top of the food chain there. Uh, the last thing uh, we should talk about is where Darwin talks about things that aren't in fact emotions. I think Sarah, you pointed this out that that there there are things that are states of mind that Mark you've sort of educated us on the difference between an emotion and a state. And right. so he kind of blurs those in this chapter. So before we end this uh, podcast, do you guys want to at least talk about that a little bit and where this chapter kind of drifts into the states versus the emotions. Yeah. And the other thing about this actually is kind of interesting is that like the last episode Darwin in like listed all these states or, or emotions, whether they were actually emotions or states, but didn't talk about most of them <laughs> this time. He actually talks about each one of them, even though they're not really emotions. So um, he, you know, so the, the remainder of the chapter, he talks about, High spirits and cheerfulness. Devotion. Yeah, devotion, but there's, oh, love and tender feelings. Right. So why isn't and love not emotion. A, an emotion? Yeah. Well, it, you know, I'm not going to fault Darwin, certainly, because, I mean, this is this is really kind of a modern advancement, I guess, or, again, just sort of how, how we think about it, that particularly as we tr- tie it, uh, emotional experiences to being able to map these to a certain extent in the brain, the, the big difference is that when we think of emotions, when psychologists now think of emotions, uh, among other things, in, per- in particular, they're very short-lived. They really just, an emotional experience lasts a few seconds, maybe a minute at the most. But those things like love or hate or devotion, or the, these are states, right? These are, it's, it's a, a way of being, an orientation, describes a relationship, right, between one and the other that's tied to certain feelings and emotions, but, you know, you think about, you know, James, the people that you love, it's not this constant emotional experience. It really is very much, uh, again, how you see them, your attitude toward them, your role in their lives, their role in your life. Uh, it's not that, jo- it's not joy. I mean, certainly you do experience lots of joy around mm-hmm. these folks, but you also experience anger. <laughs> Frustration. <laughs> and other stuff too. <laughs> but you still love them, right? 
Yeah, it almost seems like, I mean, because then he talks about specific things and it's just more like the context of the relationship, how do you react to an event then becomes a little different because of the context of the relationship. Yeah. Right. So like he talks about, he talks about sympathy and, you know, kissing actually, like there's this whole thing on kissing and who does and doesn't kiss. Um, and those are just, you know, ways yeah, Australians which- don't kiss apparently according to Darwin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that reminds me, I, I wish we had the time to explore the variation in cultures, right? Because there's an argument that Germans are, you know, humorless. They don't laugh at anything. And so, the, you know, we, we didn't talk about, you know, laughter in, in the cross-cultural context. But, you know, I'm wondering if that's part of what you were getting at here, that the variation in expression is also culturally based versus individually based. Well, and I think the other thing that I, I don't want to belabor this section, really, because I think we're all on the same page, but... Um, when he goes into the section on devotion, he actually does kind of check his cultural context there. And he says, well, you know, it's really just a Western thing. And even it's not really a Western thing because the Romans didn't do it. So maybe that's just about, you know, the way we do things, which is kind of like, I feel like that's not. He normally talks about how all these other cultures are the strange ones and if they're they're the abnormality from the norm that right. is supposedly European, whereas in this one, he actually said, oh, actually, maybe this is strange. Props, yeah. Darwin, every once in a while, you kind of get a different context. <laughs> I'm not ready to describe him as woke yet, though. No, no, no. Just <laughs> no, that, no. I, I think, you know, maybe that he's got that, that gentle wake up, you know, where like, the lights just start to, like, you know, to turn on slowly. It, it's a process. It's a yeah. process. Well, I, yeah. I just sometimes think, take me back and put me in 1800s. What would my mindset be? And is he more woke than I would be? Or, you know, would I be, you know, accepting? No, I, I mean, I, I appreciated the fact that, that there was this case where he really was like, oh, actually, this is not normal, standard, no. whatever that means. Yeah. Typical. Yeah. Typical. Yeah. So we've we decided that the last part of the chapter that deals with love, tender feelings, etc., is really um, in high spirits and cheerfulness are not really emotions, Mark. Is that what we're saying? They're just really states of mind, and he's confusing the two. Yeah, and and you know things like cheer, as he describes it, I would put in the context of mood as opposed to an emotion. But love, certainly, love, hate, these are orientations, attitudes, sta- uh, states more than than emotions. So the last thing I want to talk about is. Going back to the third, the three principles that he introduced in the book, how many of those principles did you guys get a sense that he was uh, invoking? Though he never friggin' said, using principle three of an, you know, whatever, this is what I think. I, I do have a couple of examples. It seems to me that he might have hit at least two of them. I don't know if I he's got. He, I think he hit all three. He hit oh all yeah, three. yeah. I, and, and yeah, he assumes we're smarter than we are. That's always yeah. the case. <laughs> yeah. No. I, what, I, why do you all, say that? All three. I think. Yeah. Oh, that, that well, just uh, you know, it's it's so obvious. It's, yeah. I don't need to say like yeah. this is principle two. Right. Oh, I see. Yeah. But he does talk about antithesis as being an important one. With that, you know, that in the early on we talked about when you're happy that you start clapping your hands or you, you stomp your feet. And that kind of reminds me, Mark, of your, 
excited sensorium that you have this excess right. nervous energy and has to express itself in some way. That's so your that, tell. Yeah. That's your tell, exactly. Yeah. And uh, he talks about the antithesis one where, you know, obviously smile is the opposite of, of a grief face. Yeah, uh, the whole expression of a man in good spirits is exactly the opposite of that, uh, of one's suffering and sorrow. Right. Antithesis. And then, so, Sarah, do you, is your principle expressed in this chapter as well? That of uh, uh, I was antithesis. So oh, I thought you were first one. Yes, no, but I think that uh, I uh. I am always antithesis. Um, <laughs> I, I think he does on page two hundred nine. Two hundred nine was the one place where I thought he uh, talked about the first principle, um, where he's. This is I actually read this this quote before, where he's talking about how a smile grew out of a laugh. And he says, um, now through the association, long continued habit, the same muscles are brought into slight play whenever. And that's pretty much exactly what he has said the right. first principle is. I think so, he called them all in. Yeah, he did on this chapter. All three principles, though he himself kind of hid them in text. And we had a yes. we had to be that liberal arts faculty member that discerns the, uh, the true <laughs> meaning of the writer. All right. So anything else? We're good. And the next chapter... Um, is intriguing to me. It's chapter nine. It's reflection. It's what I've been waiting for. I'm so excited. I know it's it's your oh, it's your yeah meditation the, the sulky monkey yeah. ill temper <laughs> sulkiness. Sarah, I think this is going to be your lead. I, oh, I'm all <laughs> over it. You're all over it. Hey, both of you, thanks for joining me on a Saturday afternoon. And thank uh, you, James. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure every time. I swear to God, this is the highlight of my month. <laughs> I don't know what that says about your life, Mark. I mean, right. can't anybody appreciate beauty? Yeah, you progressive liberal. Yeah, that's what George Clooney is a beautiful man. You, you oh, can't by no, by no doubt, no doubt. And I, he's I do not. there. <laughs>